slight change of plans on the Talk and Audio podcast. Welcome inside the TCA studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. As always, my name is Matt Robinson. My name has always been Matt Robinson, but as always, it is me here on the uh, podcast. I've never quite, never quite wrapped my head around how to properly do that self-introduction. I, uh, I've botched it again here today, so we'll do better next time. Hopefully, anyway, I know what I've been saying for the last couple of days and what I tweeted about was it uh, Scotty Mack would be with us here right now. And he's not with us right now, but he will be with us here a little later today. We've had to shuffle the schedule a little bit. A um, few different reasons for that. We don't need to get into all of it right now, but uh, luckily for for us here on the show, everybody's been been super flexible and, and we've had to, to move some things to accommodate some things, which meant somebody else had to move something to accommodate. It's all going to get done. It's just pushed back a little bit. So I'm here with you right now. I got a couple things I want to talk to you about. And I think it's time. I think it's time you and I talk, but we don't talk like we used to. I'm worried we're drifting apart, guys. <laughs> um, but what happens here a lot of the time is I, I, I'm here asking questions of other people. And maybe I got things to say. Maybe I got takes. Maybe I got opinions I want to get out there. So we'll do a little bit of that today. But later on today which will be late Wednesday afternoon. We will get the Scott MacArthur episode out to you. Like I said, we'll talk some NFL playoffs. We'll talk some baseball. It's going to be great. We're looking forward to that. And still on Thursday, as was always going to be the case, Kevin Mickey will be here. He's got a new gig with uh, PWHL Toronto. That's going to be fun. He's still working for uh, Sportsnet as well. We'll talk to him about that. And of course, this weekend, WWE Royal Rumble. And uh, that's one of Kevin Mickey's gigs for Sportsnet is covering the uh, the world of wrestling. And it has been a big week in the wrestling world, even on top of the fact that Royal Rumble is coming up this weekend. So uh, we'll talk to him about all of that. And I might, at the very end of this episode, have a take or two on uh, what's gone on this week in the wrestling world as well. But that's not what we're here to start with. And I, I guess I should say I should get these things out of the way, the, the the cliche things, the things I'm supposed to hit off the top. We are on social media at Tall Can Audio. We would love to hear from you there. We'd love to have your follow uh, and uh, love to hear from you guys about what uh, we're talking about here on the podcast. At Tall Can Audio, Blue Sky, Threads, X, Instagram, uh, wherever there's people doing social media things. I'm pretty sure we're there, except TikTok. We're not on. We're we're not on TikTok. Uh, I don't know how to do the TikTok thing. I wouldn't look for us there anytime soon. It's not a too cool for school thing. It's actually being far too uncool for school. I just don't get it, and so we're not there. Everywhere else, though, we're there at Tall Can Audio. Give us a follow. Uh, why don't we start? Look, later on, we're gonna talk a little sends. We will talk a little Leafs. We will talk a little uh, a little WWE to Netflix. We'll get into all of it. But I just finished watching PWHL Ottawa get their first home win against uh, Toronto over at TD Place in front of about, uh, well, over 6,000 fans. Again, another really nice crowd uh, for PWHL Ottawa. And they finally get their first home win. I say fine, like all of it. I'm being unfair, and I don't mean to be. I've been enjoying watching this team. I actively chose to make that the hockey game I watched on on Tuesday night was Toronto versus Ottawa in the, the PWHL. It's only been two home games before this one. 
that Ottawa has had, and they lost them both in overtime. This one they win in regulation. Nice to see Brianne Jenner get off the schneid, right? Like that's that's your key free agent. That was the first person they signed. Um, you know, supposed to lead the way. That's your captain. And, you know, she hadn't scored yet. So great to see that get done in the first period. Great to see Emily Clark score. Emmerich Mashmeyer has been everything you could possibly have asked her to be early in the season. That's been terrific as well. The one concern I guess I would say I have, and again, it's early, so I don't want to overstate it, but this sort of failure that Ottawa has had to pull away. And again, failure is a strong word, but i that's the word. And so they they've they've had no real trouble scoring early in the hockey game in all three of their home games right they they've had leads going to the third period and they've blown it in the first two and lost in overtime and any of you who have listened to this podcast for any length of time know that i don't once it goes to overtime i don't care now i care in the sense that i'm a fan i want my team to win but I'd place zero value in it in terms of evaluating who was better. Look, it's three on three. You come in, you miss the net. I end up with a two on one. We come in, your goalie makes a big stop, huge rebound. You scoop it up and go the other. It's just crazy chance after crazy chance after crazy chance. And so your full value, like when you get the win, but it's hard for me to be upset with the loss because. When you play three on three like that, it's only the most skilled players who get out there and anything can happen. So fair enough. Ottawa lost their first two home games in overtime. That's legit. Those games count. Uh, But I was almost waiting for tonight to end up in overtime again. And I tweeted about this a little bit. Um, If I had a concern about Ottawa... It's this inability. I'll use inability instead of failure. I don't want to be too harsh. This inability to put teams away, to extend your lead, to put your foot on the throat and just bury somebody. You're up to one late in the second and you pot too late to to end it. You get one late in the second or one early in the third and it's over. It's 4-1 and then you can grind it out. When you just sort of sit there on these multiple 2-1 leads, which has sort of been the case, again, very early, very small sample size. But when you just decide 2-1 is enough and kind of sit there, it's a hard way to play. It's a lot of pressure on your defense. It's a lot of pressure on your goaltender. And even your forward, like every shift is still now an important shift. Whereas if you could just find one, maybe two more, in one of these games, everybody can breathe a little. You just go through the motions, get the puck in deep, all the stupid cliches, and just sort of ride out the third period. And thus far, we haven't seen Ottawa do that a lot. And that was my fear in the second period. Ottawa came out flying in the second period on Tuesday night, up 2-1, to one, carried the play in waves towards Toronto for the first six or eight minutes, maybe in the second period. Uh, Toronto coach Troy Ryan isn't happy with what he's seeing, calls a timeout. And after that, Toronto sort of takes over. Um, n- yeah, certainly through the rest of the second period, the third, 
you know, there's a bit of score effects here. And if you're not familiar with that term, it's sort of the idea that even subconsciously, like even if it's not strategy, the trailing team is more desperate, is going to keep coming at you. And so the, the shots will likely favor the trailing team in any third period, in any hockey league. It's just sort of, it's hard to get past that, right? The mentality of we're winning, I should sit back and protect. Oh, I'm losing. I should put everything on goal. I should get it in deep. So often, if you're not familiar with score effects, it's not a perfect statistic, but it's the rough idea that the trailing team is going to likely outshoot you in the final moments, final minutes, maybe the final period of the game. I didn't get the feeling that that's exactly what was happening here. I got the feeling that this was sort of Ottawa's MO, similar to what it was in the first two home games, that you sort of take the the foot off the pedal a little bit and they're going to come at you. And with, uh, I don't know, roughly two minutes left, I don't know the exact time, Ottawa takes a penalty, still up by one, two, one, late in the third period. And I was sitting here like, yep, here we go. Right, because this is sort of what's happened so far. Um, you know, you've let them hang around. Now they have a power play late. They're going to pull the goalie. It's going to be six on four, and this is where it starts. Now Ottawa didn't end up blowing it, so you know you don't want to overreact to anything here. But it this game had the similar feeling. They do score shorthanded. Ottawa does. They're with the the Toronto goalie pulled. They get a crazy bounce. It goes down and into the empty net, and so. Ottawa pulls this one out, 3-1, to one, gets their first home win. It doesn't go to overtime. So they're full value for it. And like I said, awesome to see Breanne Jenner get this done. Awesome to see uh, Emily Clark get this done. This was the first game I've talked a few times on Twitter uh, and uh, and on here about loving Ottawa's third line of Daryl Watts, Hikani Shiga, uh, and uh, Marezova. And this is the first game... I wouldn't say they were super noticeable. Like every game before this one, home and away, that's been my favorite line for Ottawa and thought they were super effective. I didn't think they were ineffective in this game, but less maybe than what we've seen before. So uh, Ottawa gets it done, but that one kind of mild concern sort of hangs around uh, my neck at this point, leaving this one that they're just not so far able to, to pull away. Now, like we said, Small sample size. It's only been three home games. They will play at home again on Wednesday night against Boston. Uh, so now this is, I think, the first the first uh, game in the PWHL that sees any team playing back-to-back. It's funny that it's Ottawa because they had that road game against Boston canceled, not canceled, postponed because of the weather. And so... Um, Ottawa has actually played fewer games than everybody else in the PWHL, and now all of a sudden they have a back-to-back, which was scheduled, right? This wasn't because of the postponement. That's supposed to be a Boston home game. Uh, This is a scheduled back-to-back. And so when these games, because of the nature of the schedule, it's 24 24 games over the course of uh, the season, they've sort of all been spread out except for right now in which Ottawa's going to play back-to-back home games. So we'll see how they look. Um, no one else has been asked to do that yet. I assume we'll see Ottawa's backup and goal. I don't know that, uh, but that would be my assumption because uh, Emmer and Smashmeyer has played every minute of every game thus far for Ottawa. So if I was going to try and get my backup in there, that would probably be the moment. 
against Boston, although they come in with some serious firepower. But uh, it was interesting to watch. What was not interesting to watch, I know some of you are waiting, and you know, there was another game involving another Ottawa hockey team against the Habs. I, I didn't watch it. I Look, I know when I talk to this audience, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, sense content that's expected. I When the PWHL game was in intermission, I was flipping to the Sens and the Habs. That's about it. And you got to understand that if you're not a Sens fan, if you're not a Habs fan, this is a game between two of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. It's not that interesting. Um, I see on on Twitter as we're sitting here now recording this episode, the you know, Sens fans and certain Sens fans. Anyway, this, this is, we made them our patsies and, you know, the, we owned them tonight. And you, all right, they're actively trying to lose. You're actively trying to win and you're behind them in the standings. So no, it, this was not a particularly interesting game for me. So I, I didn't watch it. Um, I understand Corpus Allo, by all accounts is pretty good. Shane Pinto gets his first goal of uh, of his return and of the season so I'm sure that's exciting for everybody but this season is lost we'll talk about the Sens as we go but there was <laughs> I'm sorry I know how it's coming off but Habs Sens at this point in the NHL season is not interesting to anybody unless you're a Habs Sens fan that's just the way it is but the other big story from the Ottawa hockey scene today was the article that Ian Mendez had in The Athletic, having spoken to Jacob Chikrin. Uh, that was just before the game in Montreal on Tuesday night. And I guess he wanted to clear the air on this notion that's going around that maybe he's unhappy in Ottawa or looking to leave Ottawa. And I guess that's fair enough. He acknowledges in the piece that he understands why his name might be out there. You know, he's a defenseman, still pretty young guy, 25 years old. The team is terrible, um, which no one was banking on at this point in the season. And so there's going to be changes. Whether or not it's specifically him remains to be seen. But at that point, you know, with a year left on his contract, a young guy who's still pretty solid, like there will be teams interested at the trade deadline, especially with him having that one year left at a uh, pretty reasonable cap hit. And so he sort of acknowledges, yeah, like I get that my name's going to be out there because that's the business, but I guess what he wanted to nip in the bud was this idea that he wanted to leave, that he was unhappy here. And we've all heard the stories that were a big deal, especially when he was traded here last year from Arizona, uh, that he has family connections in the area. I guess he lives now close to his grandfather and and to his sister, uh, Mendez included in the piece. And so that this sort of feels like home to him and he would like to stay here long term. So he does draw the distinction between wanting to leave and understanding that he might have to leave if he's traded. Um, And we sort of talked about this at the time last year and I took some shit because I... Look, I get it, guys. Sometimes I'm not the one you want to hear from in these moments if you're a Sens fan because I'm not. And so it feels like piling on a little bit. And I'm conscientious of that, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Look, there's a time when we're in here with a guest and having a good time and throwing elbows back and forth. Yeah, I'll take a cheap shot at the Sens. And I know most of our guests have no problem taking a cheap shot at the Leafs. And it's fine. It's, It's fun. But I do like to think that from time to time, I'm capable of being objective on what we're looking at here. 
And when they traded for Chikrin last year, I said a couple times and to a couple different guests, I thought the trade itself in a vacuum was fine. What Ottawa gave up to get a good young defenseman who could be part of the rebuild for quite a while, I didn't feel like Pierre got taken to the to the cleaners or anything like that. I, I thought it was an okay trade. But you do give up a major asset, and it wasn't exactly what they needed. And you guys know this, right? It's a it's a third left-handed defenseman. And none of the left-handed defensemen that you already had were people that you wanted playing third-pair minutes. So as soon as you brought them in, someone was going to be moving to their offside. And it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Some guys can adjust to it. Some can't. But did you really want to ask a young Jake Sanderson to move to the right side? Not really. Did you really want to ask Thomas Shabbat, who was already kind of struggling a little, and that has continued into this year, did you want to ask him to move? And he's a good soldier. He's willing to do it. Um, but did you want that? Not really. And did you want Jake Chikrin, who, uh, you know, everyone talked about, well, he had done it a bit in Arizona, and so, you know, it'll be fine. Well, he had sort of said in Arizona he didn't love it either, and his results when he moved weren't great. And so, again, the trade is fine. Like, you, you want to accumulate good young talent. And they brought this guy in, and the, like I said, the price they paid was totally reasonable, pretty good deal, in my opinion, by Pierre Dorian. But you've now spent that asset, and so there's something called opportunity cost, right? You no longer have that asset to go get the thing you actually need. If I only got 20 bucks and I need food, but I'd like a couple beers and I spend 20 bucks on the beers, I'm going to be hungry tonight. So I pointed that out a couple different times, not saying that it was a bad deal, not saying that I thought within a year we'd be talking about trading Jacob Chikrin, but just that this wasn't the perfect fit, in my opinion. And I took the blowback that, ah, you're just crapping on the set. Yeah, fine, maybe. But here we are, a year later, they never did get what they needed, which was, you know, more stability on the right side of that defense. It's been another bad year, and now we're talking about possibly Dealing Jacob Chikrin. Now, I should say, if it was me running the Ottawa Senators, and, you know, <laughs> probably wouldn't be ideal for a lot of you. Uh, look, that's not the guy I would be looking to trade. He's had his ups and downs this year, but I've liked what Jacob Chikrin overall has done. I wouldn't, you've heard me say on this show before, I also wouldn't be willing to trade Jake Sanderson. And that leaves you, Thomas Shabbat. I am willing to trade you. Now, he would be less desirable, I think, to a team trading for him. Slightly higher cap hit, uh, longer term. And you're really not sure what he is at this point. So I get it that that might not be doable. And I should say again that uh, I, I haven't looked at the contract statuses. Who has no moves, who has no trades, and, and these sorts of things. I don't know what that what's in that for Thomas Shabbat and, and what control he might have on the situation. If it was up to me, I would keep Chikrin and I would keep Sanderson, and I would be willing to trade Shabbat for help somewhere else. Uh, but that's not what this was about. And so Mendez talked to him, and he was frustrated that the, the narrative is out there that he wants to be traded. Um, and I guess I kind of get that. And this is the point that I wanted to make. I'm going to drop a name on you here in the hopes that you'll follow me down the path. And that name is Pierre-Luc Dubois. Or now that he's gone Hollywood, I guess it's P.L. Dubois. 
This is a guy that was apparently unhappy in Columbus, uh, asked for a trade, and until he got it, he started to dog it terribly. Would not compete. Um, and we all remember there was one memorable night that, uh, um, you know, people were posting footage of how bad he was doing on the forecheck, on the backcheck, and he ends up getting sat down uh, by John Tortorella. And then it's not long after that, he gets traded. Off to Winnipeg, he goes. And in theory, that's going to uh, that's going to calm his angry heart. He'll be happy to be a Winnipeg Jet. I think it was his father who worked already in the Winnipeg Jets organization. But it wasn't long after that that you start to hear the rumblings. Yeah, he's not willing to sign long-term in Winnipeg. He wants to go to Montreal. Now, I know he ends up in L.A., and we'll get to that in a second. But at the time, my recollection is that everyone was talking about Montreal. He wasn't demanding a trade. He just wasn't going to talk about a long-term extension with Winnipeg. And most people believed that it was about going home as a free agent to Montreal when his contract in Winnipeg expired. Now, like I said, he gets traded to LA because Winnipeg can't ride that out. They need to get something for this guy if he's not going to, uh, if he's not going to stay. And as we sit here right now, um, <laughs> the Jets seem to have done all right in that trade, sitting first in their division and uh, very good team. And, and the, the pieces that they got back uh, for Dubois have helped out quite a bit. But in hindsight, a lot of the insiders are saying that LA was always one of two teams. It was Montreal and L.A. He was willing to go to L.A. I don't know if that's them covering their own asses. I don't know if that was just something I missed earlier on. Uh, If you heard it, you know, power to you. But the reason I bring this name up is he's in an NHL backwater like Columbus. He's not happy. He wants to leave. And he gets that done. He gets traded to a passionate hockey market where he has family connections in the organization And this is supposed to be the thing that gets them up and going and gets him going again. He's going to be re-energized. He's going to be a powerhouse. And it's not long before we're like, nah, I'm not going to stay here either. I'm good. I'll either go to Montreal or uh, apparently I'll I'll go to L.A. So they trade him to L.A., signs long-term. And now L.A., after getting off to a great start, in which he was a significant contributor, L.A. has cooled off in a big way. And he has cooled off in a big way. And people are sort of pointing at him as one of the reasons that L.A. is no longer looking as strong as they did early in the season. Could they rebound and turn it around and get going? Of course they could. It's still a pretty good roster they have there. We'll see what happens. I know Sens fans are are looking at Cam Talbot and going, we told you, because he's suddenly looking human again as well. But it, it was sort of this, I just don't want to be in Columbus. I'm, I, I'm not a high-maintenance guy. I just don't like it here. I want out of this backwater. So they get him to Winnipeg, and I guess you could argue it's a backwater, but it's a passionate fan base. He says, I'm not staying here either. Off to L.A. And now there's a little bit of schadenfreude, a little bit of shameful joy at Dubois' struggles. You see it online a little bit. You see it in the coverage a little bit going, here's a guy who has orchestrated his way out of town twice. This was supposed to be the answer. Here you are, right where you wanted to be, Los Angeles, and you're struggling. You're not getting it done. You're, you've just signed a big contract, and you're not contributing. Now, how did we end up talking about Pierre-Luc Dubois? Jacob Chikrin. I'm not saying this is Jacob Chikrin. What I am suggesting is that Jacob Chikrin, with this article today from Ian Mendez, is trying to make sure he does not become the next Pierre-Luc Dubois. 
I'm not saying he's even lying. He might be very happy in Ottawa, wants to stay long-term, and wants to get this turned around. But whether he does or doesn't, I absolutely would get out into the media and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did not say anything. I'm not demanding to be traded. I'm happy here. Because he's got some things in common with the early stages of the Dubois reputation. NHL backwater of the Arizona Coyotes. They stink. He's sort of in and out of the lineup. He's not happy there. He asked to be traded. It takes a long time to get that done. Pierre Dorian swoops in, makes a pretty, uh, uh, if you're a Sens fan, like we talked about a few minutes ago, I think a pretty reasonable uh, trade offer, and they get him. Off to Ottawa he comes. So you ignore everything I said a few minutes ago about whether or not it was the right move for Ottawa. It was the right move for Chikorin. He's going to a place that is supposed to be on the upswing with all this young talent. He's got family in the area. And it gets him out of that NHL backwater. And here we are, a year later, talking about whether or not he's going to be traded at the deadline because this hasn't worked. They need other pieces. And he is very valuable as a very good defenseman with a year left on his deal at the uh, after this one. So, I don't want, if I'm Jake Chikrin, to be suddenly painted with the Oh my God, he's the next Pierre-Luc Dubois. I got what I wanted out of the backwater. It didn't work in the place I got dropped. And so screw it, I'm moving on again. He's seeing, like we all are, the way Dubois is now sort of, his reputation has taken a shit kicking. I'm talking about Dubois here. If I'm Chikrin, I don't want that. Whether I want to leave or whether I don't, I need to protect my reputation here. I cannot be seen to be saying, I want out of Ottawa. And again, if you ask me my opinion, and that's all it would be, I don't spend a lot of time with Jake Chicken. He and I don't hang out a whole lot. My calls have gone unanswered. It's kind of a bummer. I don't have any insight into what he actually thinks. If you ask me my opinion, I would lean towards believing him that he wants to stay in Ottawa. I still believe, despite what we're seeing here, there's enough young talent that if some of it has to be traded away in favor of other young talent whether it's a new coach, I do believe the Sens will at some point get some traction and get going. And if I'm Jake Chickern, I'd like to be a part of that, especially when I have family here, I'm comfortable in the market, I do believe him. But even if I didn't believe him, I would understand the strategy of protect my reputation. And so I think there's a part of that in the interview that he just did with uh, with Ian Mendez. I will not be the next Pierre-Luc Dubois. I'm happy to stay. I'm not trying to orchestrate my way out of a second team. I'm good. Whatever they have to do business-wise, I understand. But it is not me, Sens fans, pushing my way out of here. I'm good. I'm happy. That was just sort of my takeaway from it. And and some will say that's a little far-fetched. But I don't think it's that crazy to look at Dubois. Yeah, I'm out of here, Columbus. Get rid of me. Yeah, I'm not really happy here in Winnipeg. Get rid of me. Eh, how different is it than what Jake Chickern is? There is a little bit of reputation protecting here, and I think quite fairly. As we bang through some of these, I also kind of wanted to quickly hit on the Ryan Reeves situation in Toronto. And uh, I think a lot of people saw or heard about it. Uh, He was interviewed over the weekend by Luke Fox from Sportsnet. And uh, two different things made the news from that article. And I find it odd that more people aren't tying them together. So Ryan Reeves, of course, a fourth-line 
uh, face puncher that the uh, Leafs went out in July and signed on uh, free agency day. I panned it from the beginning, said it was going to be terrible. It's been terrible. He can't stay in the lineup before he got injured. Uh, he couldn't stay in the lineup. He couldn't compete. He was on the ice all the time getting scored on. Brutal, brutal signing. He's just no longer an NHL player. That's just the way it is. So he ends up getting hurt. They put him on uh, IR. And this past weekend, he tells Luke Fox, I've been good to go for a few months. I don't know why I haven't been activated. I don't know why they're not playing me. And I sort of understand the sentiment behind that as a competitive guy. You're an athlete. You, you've sort of been sidelined here. But you were also sidelined before you got hurt. You weren't playing all that much. And there's a little bit of kind of understanding the moment. And I, I don't know how much you want to focus on this. If I'm him, I do understand. Yeah, fuck this. I, I'm ready to play. Well, just because they take you off IR doesn't mean they're going to play you. You're not any good at this point. But you are, I understand, a competitor. You're an athlete. You're a big personality. I want to play. I'm not going to be just pushed off to the side. So I get that, but there is sort of an old-fashioned team concept that, like, when it's going good, you can kind of do some of these things, but when it's going poorly, you can't pile on. Like, you're not even, like I said, even if they take him off IR, which they did do on Tuesday afternoon, they took him off IR, whether that was because Squeaky Wheel gets the grease, uh, whether that was because the interview caught the league's attention and they made a phone call. Whether it was just because they were coming back from the Western Road. They weren't going to fly him out there to Seattle to sit in the press box and then fly him home again. Um, you know, maybe it's just a case of being home. The other thing to consider, uh, quietly, Tyler Bertuzzi has been put on, I don't know what the term is, but like personal leave. His wife is expecting. And so, you know, he wanted a day or two off. I don't know whether he'll play Wednesday night, but he wasn't at practice on Tuesday. But his roster spot while he's on this I don't, like I said, I don't know what you call it. It's not paternity leave yet. He doesn't have the kid yet, but like he is allowed to leave the team to attend this family situation. So you open up a roster spot and uh, a little bit of money, but I wouldn't expect Bertuzzi to be gone for two, three, four days. So this is only a short-term situation, but that did allow them to take Reeves off IR, but it might not be any more complicated than the fact that they just got back from this West coast trip and were ready to do it. Now, there are other reporters who are saying that Reeves has been saying since like the first week of January, I'm good to go. So there's this outburst and look, there's a few different angles on this, but the second part of the article that he mentions, he's like, yeah, I don't play anymore without these knee braces because sometimes my knees just like bend backwards. Or when I get out of bed in the morning, my knee's not in the right place. You're like, well, that seems like a problem. Your knees bend backwards like a dog. <laughs> and how long is this? been a thing presumably since before the summer did brad for living and maple leafs gm just not bother with your medical yeah come on in with your two busted knees here's three years at 1.7 million it's going to be great it hasn't been great but the reason i don't understand why these are tied together or aren't being tied together is how do you in the same article say i'm totally healthy but also sometimes when i get out of bed in the morning my knees fall apart that doesn't sound all that healthy. I'm not sure it grants the Leafs permission to leave him indefinitely on IR, but it does seem problematic. And that's the part I don't understand with, with all of this. How do you say in the same interview, I'm good to go, 
But also, here's this. I can't stand up without artificial supports. It's a little strange. It really is. So I don't know what to make of, of all of that. But what I would say is Ryan Reeves has pushed this to a head, and I'm not sure it's going to go in a way that he wants it to. The Leafs could try and trade him. There's no other manager. In, and I say this hesitantly because I'm often shocked at how dumb many NHL GMs are. I don't think any of them are dumb enough to take this contract away from the Leafs. Two more years after this one at $1.7 million for a fourth line guy who can't play. Yeah, no, you're stuck with that. You could play him, which is going to be a disaster. We've seen that all year. He was washed before he got here. The, the, the Rangers got a good look at that last season and traded him away as quick as they could. You could waive him, which is, I think, what's going to happen. Now, you're still going to be stuck with, I don't know what the exact number is. He's got a $1.7 million cap, but you're still going to be stuck with like $600,000 of it. On the cap, you can only bury. I think it's. I think it's around 1.1 million this year that you can bury uh, of a contract. But that would open up a little space for you, and it would get this problem sort of out of the way. And that's why I question what Ryan Reeves did today. <laughs> why would you? Unless it's a complete lack of self awareness that you still think you're good enough. You still think you believe you belong in this line. Look, the fourth line has not been good all year, but it has been better since he was taken off of it. Again, not good. Not Stanley Cup contender good, certainly. But better. So what are you doing? Spouting off going, yeah, I'm good to go. Let's get going. Unless you really believe that they're going, that they're happy to let you sit on IR now out of the way. But if you make noise, they'll put you in the lineup. I doubt it. He may get a game or two here to be like, see, we told you. And then he's going to be a fucking Marley. Now, I don't know. Maybe he's good with that. At least it's playing. But I don't see any other option. He's not getting back in the lineup as a regular. No one else is going to take this contract from you. And so the only other place to go is to waive him. Now, this still looks terrible on Brad for living and Leafs management for giving him the deal. But I think they're going to try and erase as much of it as they can. So fascinating to see. I'm really not sure what he thought he was accomplishing in, uh, in that particular interview. Unless, like I said, unless there's just a total lack of self-awareness and he still believes he's getting back in and he's going to be a part of this. You don't have knees, man. Seems like knees are important. Last thing I want to touch on here just quickly, and we will get into this when Kevin Mickey is on the show from Sportsnet. I just quickly want to mention, because when Kevin Mickey and I scheduled this, it was mainly to talk about uh, his uh, his work now with PWHL Toronto. Uh, he's still kicking around and working for Sportsnet as well. But this is we, uh, WWE Royal Rumble weekend coming up. And uh, Kevin Mickey is as connected as anybody uh, to the, the wrestling scene, covers it for Sportsnet. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about that. But just on Tuesday morning, news broke that Monday Night Raw is moving to Netflix. And I know a lot of people's eyes glaze over when we talk wrestling. But I would encourage you just for a moment to stick with me here. Because I'm not going to break down wrestling matches for you. I want to talk a little bit about the sports broadcast industry for a second. 
And I think this is kind of a harbinger of things to come. I was really surprised when I saw this on Tuesday morning that uh, that WWE Monday Night Raw in the United States is moving to Netflix. Now, I should say quickly, in the United States, SmackDown, their other big weekly show, is going to USA Network. Uh, NXT, which is like their call-up development league where guys train, is going to the CW Network. And for the next little while, their pay-per-views, like the big you know, specialty shows, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, those are staying on NBC's streaming service, Peacock. So there's a lot there that you're going to have to subscribe to if you want to watch all these shows. You're probably going to have to keep cable, you're going to have to get Peacock, going to have to get Netflix. But in Canada, in the United Kingdom, and in Latin America, and a few other territories, it everything will move to Netflix. So if you're a wrestling fan... You subscribe to Netflix for whatever it already costs you. You will get Raw and SmackDown, which is their weekly shows. You'll get WrestleMania, the Royal Rumble, right? The big specialty shows. All of it will be on Netflix. You won't be able to watch it on cable anymore. But there is some value there as a wrestling fan that goes, yeah, but I just have to subscribe to this one thing. I don't have to, like in the US, have a subscription to Peacock and to Netflix and to cable to get my SmackDown on USA Network or whatever. So this is going to be interesting. And the reason it impacts sports fans is someone has had to go first. Who's willing to go entirely digital, leave cable behind completely? And that's where we're headed. I'm I'm really fascinated to see how this goes because it's risky for WWE who are used to drawing, you know, a couple million viewers a week in the United States. How many of those people are already on Netflix? And this will be fine. I'll just flip to turn on my, you know, my Apple TV or my Roku or whatever, and I'll watch it there instead of on television. How many people are old school, you know, people who haven't yet cut the cord on cable and aren't interested in moving to Netflix and getting a streaming service? The money is off the charts. It's something like $500 million a year. So it was worth it for WWE to take this risk. And at least in the United States, SmackDown is still on cable. So they do still have one foot in the door. But everyone else, you're you're convincing them, hey, you know what? You can't watch Raw on Sportsnet 360 in Canada anymore. It's only on Netflix. You're going to have to convince some people to go there. And I think that's what's coming. And and whether you're a... It'll never be the Leafs. And I, uh, I won't say never. But the Leafs are owned by Rogers and by Bell. So the two of them every year sit down and work together and go, you take half the games, we'll take half the games, and we can keep our TSN and our Sportsnet afloat. But there will be teams who who go the other way on this. Let's say it's the Sens. The Sens have their regional rights held right now by um by Roger, excuse me, by Sports damn it, by TSN. Took two different runs at getting the wrong answer. But what if I don't even know when the contract expires. I believe it's the end of 25. What if Apple TV Plus rolls in and goes uh, TSN was offering you whatever it is, 50 million a year. We'll give you 80. 
You think the Sens aren't going to listen to that? That's a huge spike in revenue. What if it, and it doesn't have to be Apple TV Plus, could be any of these, Crave, Netflix. We've already started to see it a little bit. I'm sure you guys have heard a little bit about these regional TV sports networks in the U.S. that have gone under. The Diamond Groups owns uh, Bally Sports across the U.S. They've declared bankruptcy. And so some of these leagues have already started to prepare. And now, by now, a lot of them have sort of struck secondary deals or if it defaults, we would do this or that. But you've already started to see the leagues have to go, okay, if our TV provider goes under for the Milwaukee Brewers or the Minnesota Twins or whoever, I'm not trying to pick on any one team. This is a, a TV network that's gone under, not the team's fault. What would we do? Well, we could put all the games on MLB.com and charge a fee and go direct to consumer that way. Skip the TV provider. I think that's a possibility in some of these leagues. It's hard because let's say the Sens TV deal expires at the end of 25, but the Jets don't until the end of 27 and the Canucks don't until the end of 28. Like, I don't know when all these, like, what do you do in the meantime? But it's possible that your new policy could be nobody renew. We just move all of these into our own NHL.com and we will sell this ourselves to subscribers. And I think that's actually the most likely outcome I don't know what form it takes yet, but all of these games ending up under one streaming platform, whether it be one of the big boys like Netflix or Amazon Prime, or whether these leagues take it on by themselves, I think that's where we're headed. And so whether you're a wrestling fan or not, if you're interested in where TV sports rights is going, this WWE deal is fascinating. Netflix has got their foot in the door with WWE. Which, again, like them or not, draws huge ratings every week. Millions of people still tune in to watch that. So they've gotten raw in the U.S. But in Canada, in U.K., in Latin America, in a lot of places that have a lot of people big into sports and big into wrestling, they now have all of it. So this will be kind of the the canary in the coal mine. Did it work? How many viewers does Monday Night Raw get in January 2025 when this deal kicks in? on a Monday night on Netflix compared to what it got on Sportsnet 360. This will become the case study. Did we lose viewers? Did we gain viewers? How many did we lose or gain? And was it worth the bump in money that we got paid to leave cable? So this will be the, uh, the case study. This will be the experiment. A uh, whole other thing to think about will be Sportsnet. Sportsnet 360 exists at this point, essentially, to show wrestling. During the day, you get kind of the best ofs and the worst ofs. Occasionally, you'll get a simulcast of the Jeff Merrick show, which is a radio show they throw on TV now and then. Um, Jay's Talk or whatever it is with uh, Blair and Barker in the summer sometimes gets simulcast there. But Monday night, it's a wrestling channel. Tuesday night, it's a wrestling channel. Friday night, it's a wrestling channel. You know, that's... Basically, the whole reason that channel still exists is to uh, give WWE a place to, which is paying Sportsnet a lot of money, uh, to broadcast their shows. So when they lose all of that in January 2025, what does Sportsnet 360 become? Or does it disappear? So a lot of interesting stuff on that front as well. Like I said, Kevin Mickey is going to be here on the podcast this week. 
a lot of that will be dedicated to what's coming up at the Royal Rumble, but I will get his take on this as well, because like I said, the guy is incredibly well-connected, incredibly insightful. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, like I said off the top, apologize for the shuffling that's gone on here. Um, when one guest had to move, everybody had to move, so look for Scotty Mack later in the day on Wednesday, probably late afternoon. Kevin Mickey, Thursday, and uh, we'll see. Uh, haven't yet... Uh, been able to nail anything down with Lever, so we'll see whether that's going to happen or not. But those two guys, um, both incredibly cooperative, and, and so, like I said, look for Scotty Mack Wednesday afternoon and, uh, and Kevin Mickey on Thursday, or anytime at talkinaudio.com or on your podcast. You can check it out whenever you want. Who am I to, who am I to question? Appreciate your, uh, your understanding on why we had to move some things here. Appreciate you guys sticking around to listen to this one. Just me vent on some little things as we, uh, as we move through the week on Talk Can Audio. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Matt Robinson. We'll see you next time. That's it. Not work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.